Welcome to episode 10 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. And uh, we're glad my name is Chris Moran. I'm the Midlife Pilot on YouTube. Joined by co-host Extreme. Also Midlife Pilot for Music Row, Brian Siskin. <laughs> You, your your signal paused there for a minute, and I was thinking I'm going to be left hanging with the strangest looking face, uh, but it finally kicked back around, and I could figure out that you actually finished introducing me. Hey, what's going on? Uh, yeah, I'm just here in Music City. You, meanwhile, are um, on an island. Uh, I, so let's talk about that. I am on. Uh, I'm on an island. I'm on the eastern seaboard of the United States, standing guard against foes abroad uh <laughs> protecting the east coast uh i actually flew in today to um to our beach house why well, not i didn't let me rephrase that i did not fly into the house we uh my daughter and i flew to uh konx Currituck regional airport on uh the mainland of north carolina so Currituck. it's about it's funny um, if you're familiar with the Outer Banks, there's one there's one way onto the island, and you and Kerala is the town that I'm in. It's the north, kind of onto the northern end of the of the island, and that's where our house is. From the airport, when we got in the car, and I put Google Maps, you know, like that. I mean, I know how to get here, but put it in. And it was like, you know, it's 11 miles, but it takes an hour because it's not really. I mean, you got to go all the way down, uh, you know, almost to Kill Devil Hills, and then back around and all the way back up. We were basically parallel with our house where we landed, but then because there's just only one way on the island, you got to go down. Oh, I see. Yeah, they're working on a bridge. There's actually another bridge that's going to get built that's going to kind of connect the mainland up to the northern end of the Outer Banks starting in 2024. Is that just because you guys just got the place there, and so now they're just trying to accommodate you? Well, that's what we think. We think it had something to do with that, yeah. Uh, Yeah. But this this airport is super nice. It was – it – there are a couple other options on the Outer Banks. You know, you could fly. There is an actual uh, airport down in Manteo, um, Dare County Regional, I think, uh, KMQI. Um, I've actually flown there once at my second ever flying lesson. But, man, it's also about an hour from down there all the way back up to this house. So this mm-hmm. one was just as easy, and I could get rental cars delivered there and stuff. So it was um, – it was pretty cool though. We came in right at sunset, and you know the approach awesome. to the runways over the thing, and yeah, it was pretty neat. Um, so, how long was the flight? Two and a half or three hours, or what was it? From Two hours and five minutes today. Nice. Um, it'll be a little longer on the way back just because of the you know the headwind tailwind thing. It was what made this one interesting was, you know, we were debating about not doing it um, because back in West Virginia today there was um, when I left. Fairmont, the winds were, so it's runway 23, the winds were from 200 at 12 gusting 25, and there was a low-level wind shear uh, air met in effect at or below 2,000 feet with um, changes in wind speed of like greater than 20 knots. Hmm. So um, it was by far and away most the most wind that i've flown and now if you really component up the crosswind component right of two zero zero off of runway two was also it wasn't like it wasn't a 24 knot crosswind sure um but it was enough that it kind of freaked us out and i we were expecting it to be really bumpy they were calling for a lot of turbulence i will tell you though the, the first five or six minutes of the flight was a little bumpy as we climbed up we ended up making the rest of the flight at 9500 feet but it was no more than a normal, I mean, it was almost indistinguishable. Uh, and so we were really glad we did it because the rest of the flight was, I mean, as perfect as it could have been the rest of the way in. Awesome. So yeah, it was fun. And you don't have to do any weird beelining or, or you can beeline it. You don't have to do a lot of weird, uh, dodging of all the strange kind of military and restricted areas that are down there because you're coming from the sort of the North, that's right. Or you're That's going right. southeast to it as a like like me planning out my route there for next or for for April is like I'm going to be sort of going down a little bit of a shoot uh when I get to that point. They definitely have all schmucks like us routed into a much tighter area. <laughs> pieces 
Sorry, I had a connection problem. We're on an island, as we've said. Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, for those in the chat, like this is a uh, pretty much just kind of an open session. So, anybody that wants to ask uh, anything, or you know, not that we really know anything, but we can tell you what we think. Um, we're not instructors. I did see one question in here earlier that was just about um, switching CFIs that I thought was kind of an interesting one. I'm trying to see if I can find it here. It was, uh, let's see. Uh, maybe it's already gone. I think it might have. But essentially, it was just about changing CFIs and uh, I, I I found it. Okay. Yeah. Is it a mark? Mm. I switched CFIs right after my 159 mile cross country solo. Is this the mm, one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or maybe, it's like a part, or maybe it's a part of that conversation, but yeah. So there was something where it was basically like, why, why, um, when would it be, what should I consider about switch? When should I consider switching CFIs or something along those lines? Um, uh, okay, wait. Uh, uh, yeah. Under what circumstances would you switch CFI just switched mine? So it's interesting because I've got a couple of friends that are training right now that have uh, just, they're, they haven't soloed yet. They're still in the earlier part of their training. Um, uh, they both had the same CFI that I had for the entirety of my training, but then he just stopped doing kind of people in 172s and that kind of stuff. And now he's really doing just serious and charter work. Um, and so they're kind of left with, uh, you know, what do we do kind of thing. And, and I think it's also an interesting or more challenging thing perhaps for women student pilots, because I, I think that, I don't know, I think that, I don't know how to say this without it's coming off wrong, but I think that women have more considerations that they need, they need to feel good about a lot of things that maybe we don't have to think about as much. Um, in terms of how they relate to their CFI and just feeling comfortable or good or whatever. So it's even more kind of, you know, something for them. But but ultimately, I was just thinking, how lucky am I, I suppose, on one level that I didn't switch CFIs, but I'm also envious of people that flew with multiple CFIs because you got so much more um, experience from different points of view and and I think are maybe a richer experience. So I can't, I can't really say which one is best to have one or to stay with one or whatever, but... Um, for me, I was looking for consistency because I was real weird about all that kind of stuff. I wanted everything. I had enough going on in my head. I'd, I wanted the same plane. They kept switching the plane. Even if it was a, a mildly different 172, if the tack was over here or you know stuff like that would just throw me off. I wanted the same plane, same instructor, stay on the plan, do the thing. That was my learning style. That was my need. But I think that for a lot of people um, and for, probably for myself, I mean, I didn't fly with anybody else until my check ride. And so it was kind of a jarring thing all of a sudden to have a different type of, just a different human in the plane with me. Um, so I think that anybody that switches, it's probably an advantageous thing as far as, um, you know, when to do it or why. I mean, I, the thing I was telling my friends earlier is both of them, as I said, look, you know, they, they kind of feel like they're maybe getting stuck with different people that they're having to sort of deal with, or I guess this is my instructor now. And I'm like, no, no, no you own your training. It is your responsibility to own your own training. And so if they are giving you somebody that you don't really want to work with, or you're just not even sure, you just want to keep, you know, play in the field or whatever. I mean, do that. But just this shift, I think, especially as hard and for earlier stage pilot training to really take ownership, to not just feel like you're resigned to the process and it's just going to be whatever it's going to be. And I'm just happy to be here. It's more like you're paying a ton of money. These people work for you and you need to be getting results and consistency or whatever it is that you need. And you need to get somebody that you're comfortable with. So if you're switching CFIs, you know, great. That means you're owning your process. That's good. I spent most of my training with one, but I did do a couple mock check ride flights with, uh, another and they were beneficial i felt like you say i mean different experience i do wish i had maybe spent a little bit more time on um training more than one airplane i mean i, I you know I, I 
different people work different ways, like you say, and uh, maybe it's too much to mix in at that stage. But um, it was kind of it was definitely shocking to get out of all my time in the 172, and then the very next plane was the 235, and it was like I have no time in anything else. It was kind of like, you know, it was a pretty big thing. So I think there's something to be said for that too. But you're right, it's a it's your training. Like, don't just get go along with what they want you to do. I mean, in terms of kind of jerking you around between planes and instructors or whatever, like it's your cash. Like you should get, get what you want out of it for sure. Uh, here's a question. I love this. Here's George, George, George Johnson. Here's a question. What 71 year old guy passed his PPL check ride last <laughs> Thursday? Huh? <laughs> That's awesome. How is that? Wow. Congrats, George. 71. That is incredible. In fact, I landed, when we landed at um, Carotite County tonight, we were trying to figure out where they like transient airplanes to park. You know, like some places have uh, preference of like, you know, there's like flight school planes and then there's whatever or whatever. So we saw a guy who had just come in in his 172 walking towards the FBO. And as I was fueling, I yelled over to him. I said, hey, are you... Are you local? Is it, you know, are you local here? And it, this guy is probably 60, 60, mid, mid to late sixties. He said, he said, Oh, he said, yeah, I mean, I'm just a student pilot. I just started soloing. You know, I've just been on my solo flights and I said, <laughs> good for you. Like I said, I got my certificate like a year and a half ago. And so we talked for a minute, but I said, it's never, never too late, never too late. So he was solo and he was out soloing tonight for like one of his first solo. Which is pretty oh, cool. wow. That's awesome. Well, congrats, George. That's really that's really something at any age. Um, bearded aviator. Here's something. Thank you, Brian, for the crash course on editing. You to <laughs> man. And one dog geek replies with a uh, crash course on editing. <laughs> Funny. You should mention that mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I guess this is uh, promotional time uh, because in two weeks on the podcast, which will be at normal time on Wednesday, uh, March the 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern. That episode is all about how we make YouTube videos. So I think the plan is I, I have one that I'm going to release actually for patrons only because it's just more of me flying the pattern <laughs> in Clarksburg. So it's a free bonus for uh, patrons. Wait, you have, a, you, have a, you, have a, you have a Patreon? Oh, you didn't know that? Patreon.com slash midlife pilot? Oh, wait. I, I think I'm actually a... You oh, are. That's where all my money goes. Well, you everybody else should do this too, right? It's, How do you do uh, that? Well, you just go to patreon.com slash midlife pilot and it's all right there. Perks oh. and stuff. And yeah. Anyway. Clearly all these people though, by the way, are pat patrons, right? Everybody in here? There are some in here. Yes, that are. Okay. Uh, all right. But anyway, that's going to be a whole episode, a podcast episode dedicated to uh, kind of the workflow of the edit and how we do it. So it, I'm going to, I'm going to work through a whole process of like importing the files and bringing the audio in and like how I set up my timeline and blah, blah, blah. So it should be, you know, if you're interested in that kind of thing, I have a question. Uh, yeah. I have a question over here. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Um, yes. Young, young man, young man with the hand. Thank you. Um, are you going to be using or what, what video software editing platform are you going to be using? I'm going to be using uh, Apple's Final Cut Pro. Okay. Now, the you'll do it on a level where it's not going to necessarily matter which software people use. It's going to be, I mean, there might be some specific things, but generally there, there's a lot of commonality between all of them, so they don't need to feel left out if they use, I don't know, say, DaVinci Resolve or Premiere. That's right. I mean, there are principles will apply across the board yes right yeah for sure all right q a continues um oh ross's check ride is wednesday that's pretty exciting wait what day is today oh so we're a week, week from the day today's wednesday yeah next wednesday that's cool you'll back. do great um you'll do great and then if you don't do great you'll still have the opportunity to do great and then you'll do great all right, let's let's rapid fire some of these because there are a ton. There are a ton of good questions in here. All right. Um. All right, not a question. 
George uh, goes to Duck every year. Drove through Duck tonight. It's, a speed, it's the speed trap of the Outer Banks. Um, it's the speed trap of the Outer Banks. You gotta, you gotta take your time through there. It's 25. They will get you. Ross asks, what airports do you guys fly out of? He's in Pensacola. Uh, I fly out of a, a Fort Golf 7. That's Fairmont Municipal Airport in Fairmont, West Virginia. Brian? I fly out of KJWN here in Nashville, or um, I fly a club plane that's based out of KBGF in Winchester, Tennessee. It's about an hour and 20 minutes drive south of here, So, um, but essentially middle Tennessee. Very cool. We're going to apply this to both people. Uh, ben Singer asked, Midlife Pilot, what is your next goal in aviation? That is an excellent question. Um, you know... I think instrument rating for me, truthfully, is probably the next thing. I know it's something that we've been talking about. Uh, I've been wanting to start doing. Started down the road, did not get started, uh, but I need to do it. It's on my 2022 list for sure. Um, my long-term goal, I've said before, I think, on this podcast is to just, by the time I'm retired, have my CFI and just teach in retirement is kind of what I would like to do, fly around and not like a lot either, not like teach 40 hours a week, like <laughs> a student here and there, right? And just have something to do. Yeah. What about you? What I know, I, in fact, I know, Brian, I know what you're working on because you sent me a text about it today or yesterday. I did? Didn't you? What did I say? I must have been drunk texting you again. No, um, I I have started on my instrument um, knowledge portion. I'm about a third done with all that material. Yeah, and that's what you said. yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting on my instrument, but I'm, my goal is essentially just to get um, the written done in a reasonable amount of time and then put a two year timer on myself to get the rest of it done without it feeling like I'm hurrying or whatever. Cause honestly, paying for it is going to be a nightmare. So, uh, you know, in the meantime, I'm just flying cross country as much as I can, just still getting comfortable. I mean, I've only got 109 hours and, and, uh, I, I still, every single time I fly, I'm still always getting so much out of it. It's not like, um, Oh, this is a great line, by the way, I'm gonna have to use this in something. A friend of mine who's an Airbus pilot, uh, he, <laughs> he, um, he was telling me, get your instrument rating, you know, which I, agree with but he said <laughs> the way he phrased it was so good he said um he said um yeah he said do that instead of recreational gas burning <laughs> that's perfect yeah so that's my goal is to stop uh to eventually put an end to recreational gas burning awesome all right here comes one mm. i don't know why this is taking so long to refresh for me i apologize for the delay uh you guys seeing that Flying Iowa asks, Brian Siskin, how much time do you take to set up all your cameras each flight? How do you deal with battery life? Mm. Well, I don't do as well as Chris does because I don't have the fancy battery packs. I'm not hooking at anything power-wise. Um, so I... Um, it's Okay, first question. How much time do you take to set up all your video cameras? I What I did was... And we talked about this in our episode that we talked about uh, a lot of these topics. But I um, I started from the very beginning, from ver from lesson number one, using GoPros and then just adding them as I went, so that it was part of my process and part of my just normal routine. And it never felt like all this because what I didn't want to do is by the time I get to my solo, all of a sudden have all these you know things to do that I don't normally do. I wanted it to be part of my habit from the very beginning. Um, so I did that. So in terms of how much time, it probably takes me less than five minutes to get everything set up. I mean, but that's also doing pre-work ahead of time, formatting everything properly, setting up everything. So where it's, it's all very well thought out ahead of time, just like anything else, you know, it'll take you less time if you do pre-production so less than five minutes to set up the cameras um and then as far as how i manage battery life on the longer flights i basically just any cameras i put outside they're just going to burn uh and they'll go out when they when they go out and then i try to uh depending on how much i want to capture or what i'm trying to capture i'll 
give the cameras inside a break, you know? Um, but mm-hmm. I, I get about an hour, but honestly where I'm at now, I'm like, I don't want to come back home and have more than an hour of footage. No, you don't anything anyway. So, um, so I hopefully about, that answers your question. I have about four cameras worth of two hours and 40 minutes of footage from today. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the audience will be shocked to find I have audio from about the first 18 minutes. So um, <laughs> we got some work to do compiling that with like flights that I'm taking on Sunday. And so yeah. it's going to be, yeah. Anyway, we can get into that another time. Um, takes me a little bit longer than that. Uh, I know we're just kind of jumping on each other's yeah. questions, but yeah. it takes me, it takes me probably 20 minutes to get them ready. But I do the same thing you do. Like I have them pre, they're all pre-charged. They're all, kind of ready i gotta put them in their mounts and stuff and then affix the mounts how i want them um and hook up my audio recorder and whatever else i'm gonna do with you that. have more things uh, i have just a couple more i have not five, very many more. i have five cameras but i'm not doing any extra audio recording or anything you know i mean i get i get the calm audio but i'm just plugging the thing in and yeah so anything you do a lot you'll be able to do easier and faster uh, Mark asks, here's my question. I just got my private on January 27th. Okay. All That's right. awesome. Uh, and I haven't flown since. Well, it's only, I mean, it's like two and, a, two and a half weeks. How long was it after your check ride before you took your official flight as a pilot? In fairness, that is, it's also winter. I don't know where you live, Mark. Or Did, we, did he tell us earlier, was he in Pensacola? I don't, I, winter is a hard season to consistently fly i think in a lot of places throughout the united states um so that could be part of it i i got my certificate on september um is that right september 1st of 2020 and i think i took my first flight as a private well i mean as soon as my check ride was over i flew the plane back to fairmont if that counts that was like a 15 minute flight uh and then i think the very next weekend i took my friend kevin to elkins so it was probably a week uh, it was a week probably. After yeah. And I kind of, I kind of feel like that in that question, there's sort of like the, I think I, I think we both understand kind of, there's an undercurrent of, you know, it's a little bit strange to all of a sudden turn the corner in your head between being a student pilot and now just going to go fly. There's the questions of, it, it, I don't know, you, once you're out on your own, it's, there's a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome you have with training and it's like a, like, Oh wait, what, you know, you've been, burning it so hard just trying to pass your check ride that by the time you get out you're you're it, you have to take pause for a minute i just went um i think i went uh, the next day or the day after i didn't wait very long and then i think i did um a flight on my own and then the next day or day after that uh took my wife up for a flight and the idea was you know you know there was not really any objective or, you know, anything. It was just, it's kind of amazing uh, as much as people really quickly moved to this idea that flying is boring, you know, mid-flight cruising is boring. To me, I, I can't believe that it's happening every millisecond that I'm flying. I, I consider it just a, a freakish miracle that I'm able to do this legally and, and with some competence. And so I'm still riding on that. So just get out there and don't have a big objective about it and, and just fly if you have any hesitation about it. And don't let the time go by, you know, like get out there if you can, because um, it's amazing how fast stuff will get away from you um, when you haven't had enough time to fully ingrain all of those things. So I wouldn't right. go more than a few weeks if you can help it. But yeah, you know, for sure. you'll be fine. Uh, feel how many hours do you have it until you do your first solo? And I'm assuming that. It's addressed to like us specifically. There are no rules. I mean, if the question is about the rules, there are no rules. Uh, and it's also not Felix, is it? It's Phoenix. I'm seeing that from here. There are no, I mean, you could solo as long as you've met the criteria that your instructor has to set up for you to take the pre-solo, whatever those you know handful of requirements are. I soloed at nine hours of total time. Um, I, had a, I was not at a flight school. You know, I had a private instructor in a private plane, and that sometimes speeds those things along a little bit, maybe. Um, also, a quiet forget, airport. A quiet airport, not busy. Exactly. There were a lot of factors that kind of went into that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I soloed at 25 hours. I probably could have soloed around 20 or 21, but it was the kind of thing where 
I would do really well for a couple of lessons and then I'd start to kind of get the sort of um, warnings kind of, you know, from my instructor. And then, and then I'd just do terribly, you know, <laughs> towards the end of a lesson, you know, he's looking for, you know, finishing a whole lesson strong, you know, um, with unassisted landings and all that. And I just didn't have the consistency yet. And honestly, even if he said, I think you're ready, I would have been like, I don't, you know, I don't think so. <laughs> I, right. I, I wanted a little bit more time. But anyway, so yeah, 25 I, hours and yeah. um, it's, you know, uh, my airport pretty darn busy. And, you know, it took me a minute, I think, to get those things. It took me a minute to learn yeah. how to land well. All right, keep those questions. We, I, I've got more here. I'm just, just a reminder. Keep the questions coming if you're with us in chat. We have uh, 27 minutes left uh, that we can answer. Wait, isn't there like stuff. a super? There's a super chat, isn't there? Does that work in? Uh, will we see that in restream? People can click on the dollar sign thing, right? Certainly. I mean, that's always appreciated. Uh, I wasn't yeah. gonna, you know, I, I appreciate you doing the legwork of uh, <laughs> <laughs> being that guy. But that's great. Um, I'll be that guy. <laughs> you be that guy if you want to. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Johnny McClung. Did anyone have issues with getting their medical certificate? Sleep apnea is delaying mine. Good mm -hmm. thing I started that part early. I could. I'm not going to in a public forum like this. I could talk to you for an entire hour about the medical process and what a crock of crap it is. Um, I, I'll say this um, philosophically. I don't have a problem with this concept of medically qualifying people to operate airplanes like this. I, I don't have a problem with the concept of not everybody can just do it. Because I do think there's greater public safety. I mean, you know, we're talking about thousand-pound machines overhead. Like there's, there is a public safety consideration here. However, uh, as much as they want you to believe that they are your advocates at the uh, at the aerospace medicine group or whatever they call themselves, I'm not so sure that they are our advocates. Um, after my experience getting mine, I, I had a problem with mine for, um, things that were silly that led to other things that were silly. And I ended up writing back a really tongue in cheek terse letter the last time when they asked for more information on it, it, it devolved from whatever the original issue was into, um, we, we also saw in your medical history once that you had a, um, prescription cream one time for, um, scalp psoriasis like seven years ago. We need more information from your dermatologist, including a full dermatological workup, blah, blah, before we'll issue your third-class medical. I was so, no problem. I mean, I have, I have, you know, I just went to the my dermatologist who I see once a year for a skin check, you know, like, but, um, and said, they're asking for this. And they said, because of that, I said, don't, don't, don't ask them questions. There's no logic. Um, and I basically sent them a letter with the, what they asked for. And I said in the letter, um, is there anything else I could provide you all with a stool sample, perhaps, you know, you know, <laughs> tongue in cheek, but my point is what else do you want from me? Um, what else can I show you about my, I mean, it was ludicrous. What, what did that have, what did it have to do with my third class medical? Right. So, um, anyway, uh, I don't have, they don't sit in super high regard with me. Um, as a general rule. And some of the, some of the challenges are legit. I understand, you know, sleep apnea is such a common, um, thing, but also, you know, untreated. I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know what kind what you're going through with it, but it's, um, I just know that some of the processes are potentially over, maybe over rigorous, you know, that they ask of pilots. What about you? Ultimately, Brian? You, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, so stay with it and, you know, play the game and do whatever it takes and don't get discouraged. I would say that. Um, I got, I, I stayed got, with it and mine came out fine. I ended up losing my provisional or whatever they call this at, you know, where you have to get rechecked every year. I'm just on a normal, like everybody else now, third class. So I eventually got over it as well, but it took me, I mean, it was a couple of years. I never had one revoked or didn't have one, but it was, uh, there was a lot of work to do to keep it. Um, now it seems like it's settled down and now I'm very seriously this next time mine's up in April. 
I'm considering just going basic med now and forgetting about it. I will so. definitely do basic med. Um, and I'm going to do it with my AME. I'm not doing it with my regular physician. There's another good practice that old season pilots have told me forever. Keep your flying doctor and your other doctors as isolated as you can. That's all I'm saying about that. But, you know, there's value maybe in having some separation there is all I'll say about it. All that. right. Well, uh, good answers. Uh, let's see. Oh, Johnny again. We're going to have a giant. Uh, why do you fly, fly patterns at Clarksburg and not Fairmont? It's a question for me because people see that all the time. I take off out of Fairmont, do all my work at Clarksburg. The real reason is because in specifically in the uh, Skyhawk, because of the length of the runway and the obstacle at the end, we don't do touch and goes in that airplane there and because of the low power of that machine. So it's just a time factor for me. Like I can get way more uh, laps in the pattern done at Clarksburg doing touch and goes then I can't having to full stop taxi back every time at Fairmont. That's really the only reason, just for uh, ease of um, getting more landings in per hour um, by going somewhere else. LPH. Are you are you interested in answering a question about your tattoo? Uh, sure, I don't care. Which one? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just, just one. What, what, is there more than one? No, it's just more one. About that? Why do you have a 14 tattoo on your wrist? It is not a 14. It is an M. It's just kind of a letter M. Uh, that is my sister. Uh, she has my initial on her wrist, and I have her initial on my wrist. Very cool. The more you know. Uh, Andy Huggins. Let me tell you about Andy Huggins. I... I We've talked about him once on this podcast. It might have been before it was, or maybe it was on one of my live streams. I wore a hat. Uh, Andy Huggins is making uh, merch, aviation-themed merch. He has been a long-time, and I mean long-time patron uh, of the channel and a supporter from the very beginning, who I think has a check ride coming up here soon, uh, which is probably part of the reasons this question. I I'll put a link. Remind me, Brian, will you? I want to put a link to his yeah. merch. Or again, I have a, a T-shirt and a hat from him, uh, and I love them both. Um, for those who pass their check ride, how do you deal with check ride anxiety? That is a good question, and when someone can figure it out, uh, they'll be wealthy. I don't know. I'll tell you, you what. Remember, I would tell you do remember we did a whole episode on this? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it was. Um, <laughs> I'll recap it like this for mine. I, yeah. I wish someone had told me, uh, I wish I had believed people before when they tell me that it's, um, it's like taking your first passenger. It's, um, you treat every flight. Like, like I wish I had approached my training and my, even my check ride a little differently. And I did once the check ride started, it was, it was a fantastic experience. Like we had a great time and it was cool to fly with somebody new and, your mileage may vary. I, you know, I know there. I understand there's a wide uh, range of DPEs as well that have you know different personalities and different approaches to the check ride. I, I think I got pretty fortunate. Mine was, was about as chill and um, had a real good time and was super intentional about putting me at ease. Like he could tell he was concerned for my mental well being and just making sure that I wasn't stressed. And um, but. If you're, I think, you know, this is cliche and everybody says it. If you're, if your um, CFI has signed you off and has sent you for your check ride, you take some comfort knowing that you're probably prepared for that because they also don't want failure. I mean, there's, you know, they don't want, they don't want people to fail. Um, so it's, and the other thing is to not look at it, not look at failure as a failure. Uh, I mean, there, it doesn't go on your permanent record. Nobody knows how many times you, you know, had to do it. Um, if you mess up a part, you can do it again. And so, um, failure is not the end of your journey. I mean, even if, even if something doesn't go right, it's not a one and done or even a one and do the whole thing again situation. If you do everything right and fail the last landing, I know, I know a guy, a patron who did something similar and went back the next week with the DPE. They had to do one lap in the local pattern and they got a certificate the week later. So, you know, uh, it's not a one and done thing. Um, know that you're ready. Trust your CFI that they've sent you and prepared you. And 
enjoy like we talked about earlier the value of flying with someone else with different experiences just you know enjoy it yeah my advice. i always just for me it's just about how it's framed mentally it, to me i just i just reframed it in my mind to be uh kind of a place of gratitude about it like i'm so lucky to be able to do this i'm just gonna do the best i can and uh and i'm gonna look at this as have an experience that I can have versus this I'm, you know, doomed to, you know, fail or succeed or whatever those kind of considerations are. It's more like I'm going to, I'm going to have an experience and I'm going to frame it as a positive one and then let the chips fall where they may. That's excellent. Here's a, here's another great question. Speaking of midlifers uh, from Indiana Penny. How about glasses used by flying midlifers? Do you all use bifocals, contacts, readers, all different kinds, etc.? That's an interesting one because I am, wait, which way is it? I can see close up but not far away. I'm nearsighted. Is that true? Is that, is that the correct? I never no, remember which no way No one really knows. Okay. I can see up close, like I can see like super close but not distant. That's been my problem. I only in the last year or two have I started to realize, man, like I need more light to read this thing or like I'm having a real hard time with this text. So that, that has started to come up with me. So what we did, I actually did something with my ophthalmologist. So you may see in my videos, I wear aviators. Those are prescription. I had prescription sunglasses made. Don't tell anybody they're polarized. Um, uh, that's like a taboo in the aviation field. I can still read all my screens, like blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, but we made a separate prescription for those that are different than my everyday glasses, and they are slightly more tuned for distant vision. You know, these we've had to start making some sacrifice because I don't, I'm not ready for bifocals quite yet. So we've made a, we've made that sacrifice to like slightly improve my reading at a slight takeaway from my distant vision. So mm. we made the conscious decision to fix my distant vision in the sunglasses. Mm. I don't know what I'm going to do when we cross the point where I can't read, uh, where I have a harder time reading up close. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I probably will have to end up with bifocals in the plane is probably what will happen. You can do that with sunglasses too though i mean you know you can you can do that with prescription sunglasses um yeah fortunately i haven't crossed that bridge yet where i've needed that with multiple glasses i have progressives um and it's actually kind of worked out nice the the ray-bans that i have uh that are prescription they kind of screwed them up where the sort of the 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 progression happens a little bit too late to convert to distance so if I'm driving with them, I kind of have to make sure my head is is kind of up. Whereas in the plane, it's perfect because it's almost like two thirds close up and one third far away. So I've got a really clear uh, everything in the cockpit. I can see very clearly, um, but I can still see far away. But it's it's funny. But anyway, yeah, progressive, just whatever um, lenses and not polarized because you know let's be let's be sane here it was not on purpose that it was an accident that i ended up with polarized but i'd spent so much on them i was like mm, that's gonna have to wait till the next prescription i mean that's going to be a different when we yeah, change yeah. prescriptions we'll solve that yeah. um ben singer says uh for me and mm. you what's the one airport you want to land at is there one <laughs> more than all the others that's a good question Hmm. You know, it seems like a lot of people have a ready-made answer for this. I don't, I don't really have a a ready-made um, answer for it. I mean, there's a few that I have my eyes on that I just think would be cool. There's like the Dauphin Island, you know, which is not terribly far from here that I could do. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I, I wish I had a better answer. I don't know. I don't really have one. Hopefully, hopefully whatever, the one I'm choosing to land at. I'm scrolling through. Mike Michael Young is here. Hey, Michael. Uh, have you? Are you starting your instrument rating training? We did actually say something about that. We but Brian started his uh, kind of the book work third of the way through. So I haven't done anything yet. But that is on the uh, that's on the plan. A lot of people in the chat right now are uh, agreeing. Basic med. Um, basic med. Basic med. Basic med. 
Um, can you use prog progressive lenses instead of bifocals? Yes, you absolutely can. This is really turned into like mid midlife gems, right? It's like, <laughs> can you see what kind of glasses? Can I, can I pass a medical? What if I can't see? What if you have to pee? I mean, how, how do you hold it for two hours? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> we have kind of turned into that somehow. This is legit. Mm, I'm telling you. Hey, um, so uh, real quick, um, nobody's put any super chats in there. So I guess it's not working or people just really don't want to spend their money on <laughs> elevating their question. Um, well, that's fine. But, um, but I will say that, uh, I do have three videos that I put out this week. They were great. They were, I enjoyed every one of them. Awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, three, three videos, one week. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to turn the corner, uh, from, the sort of documenting of training and flights to now sort of being able to actually take time to reflect on some things that I've been meaning to for a while. Oh, here's a great question. I was dying to answer this question. Uh, John McClung says, is it a bad idea to use a CFI that just completed his certification? I love this question. I love this question. Uh, because my opinion has changed over the years. No, I don't think so at all. I'll tell you why. Um, can you imagine these kids that are flying in these schools right now? A lot of most of these kids, like the, the CFIs that I know that have just got their tickets, are working towards airline jobs. Ultimately, that's you know this is the logical progression for them. This is how it works. They get their ticket, they teach and you know build their hours, and they go to the airlines. These kids are flying airplanes every day you know, building time all the time. They're in the airplanes every day. Um, fresh material. They know their stuff. They, you know, they're, I don't know. To me, um, that's who I want to learn from. Uh, I want to learn from these folks who are just living and breathing. And now there's definitely something to be said for the old season pilot who's got, you know, 50,000 hours and has seen everything. Um, most of the 50,000 hours aren't in, aren't in the 172 that you're training in. You know, there's a lot of his time that is not relevant to you, truthfully. I mean, you know, it's different, entirely different ballgame. But I've had nothing but good experience with the young kids who've come out. Um, I think I think they've all served me very well. And um, I don't have any – I would jump at the chance to fly with these kids who are flying airplanes every day. Um, I just think it's so fresh to them. And they're they're eating and sleeping flying uh, at that stage of their life. And I think they can pass it on to you. As long as your personalities jive and you can work with them, that's my take. But what if it's just just like, what if it's what if it's what what if it's a guy who just got his CFI um, and he's called the midlife pilot and he said, "I I don't I just want to kind of do it occasionally, not a lot." you know, I have a beach house and I just want to sometimes do it at the beach, but then sometimes I don't, I just want to maybe have one or two students and just kind of want to feel oh, like well. it. Is that the instructor that, that we should get now? Ask me that in 20 <laughs> years. My answer will probably have changed some. I might say yes. And I'll tell you why, because <laughs> my time zero of my hours by that time will have been in an airline environment. Like they're all going to have been in GA aircraft and like, kind of at the private level, right? I mean, I'm not, yeah, uh, yeah. that's a good question. Relevant. Yeah, that's a relevant. fair question. Um, and uh, I see what you did there, counselor. And yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> should, I, should I go with the guy who's phoning it in for ice cream money? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, Michael Young. Yep. Uh, I was my CFI's first student and I thought it was great. He came from ATP and had so much knowledge because it's all fresh to him. So, you guys remember Tyler Lucas from my channel, who was my instructor. I was not his first student. He was teaching at Fairmont State already, um, uh, this local school here. But he, um, I was his first non-flight school student. So part was that part sixty-one. So outside of the flight school environment, um, and you know, it was the same kind of deal. Like he was just, um, he was just all over it, and uh, 
and he enjoyed flying those. I mean, you know, that's he was working towards the airline, but he still like he bought us a Tabria. Like he loves flying these little planes. This is this is the fun flying for him. I mean, yeah, ultimately it comes down to who cares about their experience. It's just about whether you click with them, whether it's the right situation. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to cat to just write off people because they're this or they're that. Um, I'm trying to find something for you guys real quick. Quick, Brian, fill time. Ah, so um, has anybody figured out the super chat? Yeah, they did. We got a couple. Look at this. What? We got a couple. You did it. Uh, I did it. Oh, my God. We'll shout out to him here in a second. Um, Okay, so now I just got to get 500 more subs on my channel, and then I'll just have nothing but super chat. Oh, yeah. Thank you to uh, One Dog Geek and Ben Singer both for the... Yeah, uh, that's really great. That's really great. For the virtual tip jar, as it were. Yeah, it's like, you know, hey, thank you. Can we can we be like the kind of people that are like, hey, thanks for the one dollar. Oh, hey, thanks for the five dollars. <laughs> no, I don't think we are. I don't know what's with what's gotten into you tonight, but I'm gonna have to start keeping my finger over here on the mute button a little a little closer. Um, I will say here's the effort that I made. I knew we were supposed to record this night. It's my fault that we were late because like things mm-hmm. never go quite as planned at the airport when you land somewhere else. And like, there's a storm coming tomorrow. So I was like, I have to put one five twos like baby coat on her that she wears when she's outside of a hangar. Like, you know, anyway, um, so I brought all this stuff to do this here. So as you've seen, I've switched camera angles. The, 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 dis- Distinctive viewer, distinct viewer will have noticed that the camera switched midway through this podcast. That's because the battery in the camera that I brought was dead. Um, also, I'm I'm holding my fancy microphone today <laughs> because I did bring a mic stand, but it's unable to, to effectively mate with the microphone that I brought. So you can appreciate the effort that we put in to produce this high quality for you um every other week so that's why we really appreciate the uh yeah and i feel like a jerk because ben was actually just saying great videos brian and five (laughs) dollars so uh i I apologize and thank you ben uh a lot and mr dull geek as always uh so anyway but yes back to you mr sinatra (laughs) here we go uh indiana question how do those CFIs set their rates? Always wondered that. I think it's if it's not if you're not at a flight school, if you're just working with independents, I think it is completely whatever they decide they want to do, and which is fine. I mean that's their time and people like everything else in life. It's things are worth what people are willing to pay for them, and uh, I believe that. I'm not that's not facetious. I'm saying like the valuation of a thing, whether it's time or material is what someone else will pay for it. That is its value. So, um, I think people just set them based on what their time is worth to them and, uh, how they want to do it. I think. I'm pretty sure that flight schools take a lot, a large proportion. Uh, I want to like, I want to say maybe even half. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. And I can't speak to that. Uh, did you use online ground school and which do you recommend? Uh, I can give you my short list. I did. I use sporty for my private. I used sporty's uh, course and I used, um, Russell, Russ stills, uh, gold seal aviation. Um, uh, and I thought both of them were really good. Um, since then I have looked at a lot of other content. I mean, my daughter's talking about, getting her certificate and I've met a lot of people through connections. And so I've got a chance to see other, uh, some other people's content. And I know that I've talked about Chris Palmer before angle of attack. He's making some good stuff. Uh, angle of attack.com is his site. Um, what else is out there? There's a ton. I mean, there's just so finer many points. Things. Yeah. If you, if you want to just, yeah, the, uh, finer points, I, I think is one of the, um, uh, I think he is one of the best, online youtube uh, instructors i mean he's got his own curriculum like you're looking for as well but also his channel i just think he is a he's an expert teacher um i really enjoy his video yeah i used i used all sporties the whole time and nothing else but um you know there's definitely better things for some people and i don't know, i just at the time i didn't i just didn't know enough i was just like well i just want to have the standard give me just the normal 
undeniable thing. And I did like that it, uh, one thing that might be worth checking, you know, depending on who you're training with or what the school is, my school had just converted everything to a sporties back end kind of curriculum management, learning management system type of thing that my student package kind of just plugged into. And so then I had sort of, uh, you know, I could do the endorsement and I could do all the, you know, syllabus and the monitor my own progress and with the actual flight hours and everything was a little bit more integrated seemingly. And and so I, I did like that. Cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. I'd covered a gamut of things here. Yeah. Um, I want to know what was, did you have any challenges, uh, at all flying today or was it just all easy peasy or did you learn anything? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, the recap, we, we left in conditions that were less than ideal, had thoughts about not going. Uh, I mean, when, when you're standing at the hangar and like, it's that wind, the wind that's blowing by that makes it hard to hear. You know, it's like there's so much air and you look at the windsock and it is like s- straight out and like, you know, tensely out and the flags are ripping. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I'm glad we didn't cancel um, because, you know, the it, it's always good. We had, we just had to get off the airport. You know, that's the, that's all we had to do. And, um, you just practice the crosswind correction you were taught and, you know, keep yeah. your controls right. You stay over the runway. And then the rest of the flight was smooth sailing. We made a decision to go to, um, uh, 9,500 instead of 7,500. We had to cross mountains and there was, a, I think, I think the wind mass we were in, I mean, the, the winds aloft at seven or 9,000 feet, I think they were, I don't know, 50 knots or they were, I don't know, 40 to 50 knots. So it wasn't insignificant hitting those mountain peaks. And we just didn't want to deal with any of the turbulence from that. And so that was a good call because 95 was, you couldn't tell you're even crossing the mountain range. Um, yeah. I think at 75, you probably would have. So I think that was a good call. How did Cecilia do? Great. Like a cool. Um, she braced herself. Uh, like, um, cause I, I'd warned her ahead of time, you know, cause I don't want to surprise people with that stuff. I said, you know, this is going to be, this has the potential to be probably as rough as we've been, you know, uh, in. So just know that that's coming for the first five minutes, you know, and then we're going to be good. But then it wasn't, you know, and I said, oh, I didn't mean to scare you. She said, well, I'd rather know than be surprised by it. So, um, <laughs> no, it was good. Um, uh, people were asking, we, I took the, uh, 235. Um, here's a quick, uh, here's a quick, Actually, I have a clip, Brian, that you've not you asked about it. It's just a quick iPhone clip from our flight today once we were in cruise. This is in, near Elkins over the eastern West Virginia mountains. Nice. Awesome. So, yeah, that's kind of a look inside the 235. Um, so you said Cecilia's uh, a step closer to considering uh, starting training. Yeah, it's a hard time though. Like she's also working on co- figuring out college and like college. Come on, it's just uh, there's a lot to think about. So I, you know, I don't want to monopolize her time if she doesn't want to spend it on it. And so yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely um, one of those things where there's a lot of people I think that are interested in it and have the capability to do it for sure. But there's definitely another, I'm seeing this with some you know friends of mine that are training that they, they love it and they're very interested and they're they're They've been going at it, but man, the, that level of commitment that it takes to really do it in any kind of a reasonable amount of time and to really own the process and to really not feel like you're phoning it in or whatever. And, taking too long you know i mean anybody that commits to doing it i really respect because uh it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to do and so for anybody that's got a lot of stuff going on you know it's a fine line between making excuses not to do something that you really want to do because you just have your doubts versus like i'm just gonna do this at a smart time that's right no, it's definitely a commitment. I mean, you know, it's it's a time commitment and a money commitment and just a 
Um, I'm trying to show a clip of, um, and then I'll stop showing clips because you know, we, we do still have a video to make of this. But this is the, um, this is how cool the uh, approach into this airport is. So this is a look at. Uh, sorry for those of you listening to the audio portion. Uh, viewers are seeing a look uh, inside the uh, cockpit of the 235. That's downwind the base out kind of over the, um, heading out over the sound. Perfect light. And, uh, oh, man, it was sunset. You know what I mean? It was like right about sunset time and like, uh, Cecilia got, got her phone out. She's like, oh, I've got a video of this. Like, um. So anyway, the base the base uh, leg is kind of out over the out over the sound. Then you turn final, and it's just over some like marshy area and some trees. Uh, this is K O N X um, um, Curatech Regional, an untowered um, field with a hundred and fifty foot wide runway, fifty five hundred feet long. Um, Another reason that I think it's a great contender for us for our uh, April fly-in. Um, yeah, the approach is just—I mean, it's you know, it's super easy. Um, it's out in the middle of nowhere. The funny thing about this airport <laughs> is, and this—I I love this—it's on the uh, airport diagram too. Um, they show the runway, right? And you know how they, sometimes they'll put like landmark markings on the document so you can kind of see what it's around. Yeah. One side of it has this big like semicircle, and it says landfill, and the other side says prison camp so the yeah. the airport is between a prison camp and the landfill <laughs> so i thought nice. well that's that nothing calls you in to like come visit us here next to the prison camp <laughs> or the landfill depending on what it well, is your bang up job by the chamber of commerce that's the end uh, of the video i mean honestly that's the same th actually here at john toon that's what it is there's basically uh what i call trash mountain just like the landfill and then uh the downwind is uh right over our prison so last question yeah. then we'll get off okay yeah man ben singer good question to both of us mm. how did we come together for the podcast government conspiracy we probably told this story maybe on the it was yes on the we probably told this on the first episode the podcast was brian's idea uh brian was a we talked he's a, a youtube subscriber and a patron of mine and then had an idea to do a podcast and i said well i don't i'll be bad at it because i don't have time i mean I, it's hard for me to even keep the stuff and he said i'll do it uh just do it will you do it with me and i said sure and so that was how i'm right that's basically the origin story pretty straight ahead it's just it was like a it was a no-brainer i feel like there's just also a um I think that we saw an opportunity to do something, you know, for, for people that were maybe in the same boat as we were, that wasn't really being done. I mean, there's a lot of aviation content or whatever, but I mean, I feel like that a lot of it is um, highly instructional or various things. And we just thought there was an opportunity to do something a little bit targeted and unique. And, you know, it's, it's also kind of like, I don't know, like, screw it. Let's start a band kind of vibe. Maybe that's what we should do. Mm. Do you have your keyboard? Do you have your synth ready? No. Uh, no. I mean, I. Uh, I miss being played out. That was like the nicest. Uh, I know. I know. Well, the problem too is I don't have the monitoring set up, but um, ah, some other uh, time. You know, hey, I played a lot of synth on my last video that I that um. I was happy. With. Hey, everyone should go to uh, real quick. Seriously, we got to go then. But everyone yep. should go to uh, thosedrones.com. I was on there the other day and found cassettes and uh, records for sale of mm. Brian's music. It's and, true. And uh, I want to buy. I want to buy some vinyl. So I need. Yeah, to if you want to, if people are into antiquated uh, airplanes, they might also be into antiquated uh, music media, of which I have those things. So yeah, it's all true, cool. man. Thank you. Thank you. That's a good plug. Um, and how 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 are we going to split the six dollars, Chris? And uh, well, I mean, five of it was directed. I mean, five of it was directed ooh, directly. Gosh, for that's you. really true. Yeah, that's really true. So, yep. So we will. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll take a dollar, and you can have five. We'll call. Yeah, it and Ben, I, I've been. Uh, thanks again for that. I do want to get down to. Uh, 
isn't Ben's airport the one that's either at or near this uh, chop house? Ooh, I think that's right. I think I think, I think that's, that's right. right. Um, yeah, I'm flying um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'll have the plane all weekend, so I'm, I've got a lot of adventures coming up. We're going to go to Sewanee and uh, some other interesting locations and do some fun things. So stoked about that. It's been a couple of few weeks. Now I'm flying less frequently, but when I do fly, then it's full on for two or three days and then off, you know, which I kind of like the immersion of it and just kind of having a plane and being able to flow with what's going on. So awesome. uh, pretty good. Um, are you going to fly any while you're there other than just flying back? Uh, we're going to do some, uh, Cecilia and I, at least there's some question whether anyone else will go with us on Sunday to see just some beach sites, but we are going to make a loop. We're going to do some, beachy low level beachy scary things before we head out officially north westbound so you know the low like thousand feet or below uh up the ocean thing so that's kind of fun and scary but you know some banner towing sans banner that's good i like it um yeah well you guys have fun and and uh and be safe and thanks everybody for all the questions and everything chris why don't you go ahead and get us out of here Yep, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you in two weeks where we will do uh, editing videos. Should be exciting. So appreciate everyone's time, and we'll talk to you next time.